Welcome to the Plan Teat Podcast, where I interview industry experts about meal planning, food, and wellness to help you answer the question, what's for dinner? Hello, and welcome to the Plan Teat Podcast. Today, I have a wonderful interview with Mary Schrader of the YouTube channel, Mary's Nest. Mary is a modern pioneer, as she calls it. She teaches people how to cook traditional foods, have a traditional foods kitchen, basically, through her YouTube channel. She is such a wonderful person. We have worked with her in the past, and she has such a bubbly, fun energy. If you've ever watched her YouTube videos, she starts all of them by saying, hi, sweet friends, which I find so endearing. I had a great conversation with her today. We talk a lot about traditional foods. We talk about how she got started with her YouTube channel. And we also talk about her upcoming cookbook, which is called The Modern Pioneer Cookbook. We also talk a little bit about seasonal eating. And I just wanted to remind you that here on the Plant Eat Podcast, we have talked about seasonal eating on four different episodes. So I'm going to link to those in the episode description. If you're curious about learning more about seasonal eating and what foods are in season during certain times of the year, you can find a little more information from those podcast episodes. And other than that, I hope you enjoy. Mary, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So let's just get started by having you give a little introduction of yourself and what you do. Uh, well, my name is Mary Schrader. Uh, on my book, it says Mary Brian Schrader because there are a lot of other Mary Schraders out there. But I have a YouTube channel called Mary's Nest, along with a uh, website that complements that, where I teach traditional cooking skills for making nutrient-dense foods like bone broth and ferments and sourdough and so on and so forth, and stocking a traditional foods pantry and uh, things like that. And I was so happy when I initially discovered Plan to Eat because you have a wonderful uh, service that allowed me to plan my meals, but to plan them with the foods I wanted to plan them with, as opposed to meal plans that other people, you know, were creating. And so uh, I was so happy when I initially discovered you many years ago. And my uh, plan to eat, uh, I know what you would call it, registry, so to speak, is packed now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, other than that, I live in the Texas Hill Country between Austin and San Antonio. I've been here quite a few years. Uh, I've been married 25 years now, over 25 years, hard to believe. And I have uh, one son who I was very blessed to I got married a little later in life, and I was very blessed to have uh, our son in my early 40s. Oh, my and gosh. Yeah, so that that was wonderful. I, I credit traditional foods for <laughs> helping me with that. But uh, he's a grown man now. And uh, but other than that, we're just uh, living our life here in the Texas Hill Country, and I really love it. I'm a former New Yorker, so it's uh, it's quite a change, uh, quite a change for me. But I, I love living in Texas and love the Hill Country. It's really beautiful, rolling hills and lakes. I can't complain. <laughs> yeah, every time I talk to you, I always notice a little bit of New York in your accent. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of it's funny because a lot of people will say to me, 
uh, you, you don't sound like a Texan. And I'm like, no, I'm from New York City. <laughs> <laughs> well, so why don't you tell me a little bit about how you got started with your YouTube channel? Well, that's an interesting journey. I was really, we have to go back quite a few years. Uh, when my son was in kindergarten, he was diagnosed with very severe dyslexia. And it's interesting because the school that he was at said, gee, we're not really, you know, prepared to help him. And this is a long time ago, you know, schools are very different today. And then I talked to the little public school out here where we lived and uh, they basically said the same thing. Oh, we're not really, you know, we don't have programs like that uh, to help, uh, you know, children, you know, with reading problems. Uh, but maybe when they're around fourth grade, uh, you know, we might be able to help him and so on and so forth. But the teacher was very kind and she kind of said to me off the record, I would really recommend that you not wait until fourth grade that you get him reading therapy now and try homeschooling. And I'm like, homeschooling? Oh my gosh, <laughs> what's that all about? And then I went to a seminar where Dr. Sally Shaywitz from Yale University was speaking about children who had dyslexia. And she had said the same thing. You have to start the intervention now. So being where we live, I couldn't even find a reading therapist talking, you know, you're talking to intervention. Oh my gosh, reading therapist, what? And, but I was very blessed. I found a girl who was a student studying to become a reading therapist. And in order to be a reading therapist, she had to have so many hours under her belt, so to speak, to teach the, you know, uh, be, get her certification. So she said to me, how about if we do this? I'll teach your son, I'll get my hours and I'll give you a reduced rate because reading therapy, no matter what way you cut it, it's expensive. And she said, I'll give you a reduced rate. And she said, you, this is not that hard. This is, we're going into first grade. You can handle the subjects, homeschooling, whatnot. So I'm like, all right, <laughs> I didn't know what else to do. And well, in any event, I was blessed to uh, find a lovely social circle of other moms who were homeschooling. Now, keep in mind, I'm an older mom. I'm in my 40s. <laughs> well, at this point, I'm in my 50s, actually. <laughs> uh, and so my son, uh, you know, had this nice little social circle of other children. And these other mothers were quite a bit younger than me. And the book Nourishing Traditions by Sally Fallon had come out, or Sally Fallon Morell, I think is her last name now, had come out in maybe 1998, 1999, some, somewhere around there. And I had been raised making these types of traditional foods. You know, my mother made them, my grandmother made them, and my mother taught me how to make them. So I would, you know, periodically be talking about this to the ladies in my social circle. And they would sometimes say, oh, my child has, you know, eczema or my child doesn't seem to be growing or whatever. And my girlfriend recently reminded me of this, uh, was funny. She's, I said, wasn't it something how we all got into nourishing traditions? She said, Mary, you gave us all a copy of the book. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so I would just give copies of this book, you know, to my friends and I'd say, read it. It's really quite fascinating. You know, my mother's been vindicated uh, for all the years that she eschewed margarine and said, eat butter. <laughs> but in any event, uh, they said, oh, you, this is a little overwhelming mm. and you know how to make these foods. So uh, can you teach us? So that's what I did. I would at Saturday mornings, I'd have all the moms here. Uh, the fathers would take care of the older kids. The moms would bring their nursing babies. It was very cute. And we would just come together here in my kitchen. And I would basically teach the sort of the backbones of what I call the traditional foods kitchen. I would focus on bone broth, ferments and sourdough. You know, eventually we expanded out to including other things, cultured dairy, you know, how to soak and sprout grains and, and do things like that. But we started with bone broth ferment. Ferments were very popular amongst my social circle. So this went on and then other moms would say, oh, you know, because we all sort of lived, you know, in and around the Austin area. And sometimes it could be a long drive for folks. So people started inviting me to their kitchens and I was doing all of this for free. I was so happy to keep these skills alive. This is very important that we don't lose how to make these traditional foods. And so I would be at other mom's kitchens and showing how to do these things and whatnot. Well, fast forward, uh, my son eventually goes off to college and now I'm an empty nester. And he said, along with my husband, they both said, gee, you know, you, you're good at these cooking classes that you teach your ladies. You should put this these on YouTube. And I think initially I had maybe thought of like a website mm. and doing blog posts about this. And I do have that, but that was at the time was what I was thinking. And they both said, oh, no you've got YouTube. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's right. <laughs> I can do videos. <laughs> so that's how it was. It was all born. Now I, I knew something about YouTube. I watched YouTube videos on different subjects. You know, one time our, the ice maker in our refrigerator broke and I was so proud of myself because I looked up how to fix an ice maker. And I, I think, uh, I don't know if it's a Maytag or whatever we have. And uh, sure enough, there was a video and I followed along with the man and I fixed it myself. I was so proud of myself. My husband got home from work. I said, I fixed the ice maker. <laughs> but in any event, so I I said, all righty. And, and I, I took, it was funny. I had to look up. I watched videos, but I didn't know how to make videos. So I searched on YouTube, of course, how to make YouTube videos, came across someone who I think is just terrific. He's a young man and his name is Sean Cannell and he has a YouTube channel called Think Media and he's very good for the beginner. If there's mm. any of your listeners out there who are interested in learning how to put a YouTube channel together, he really spoke to the beginner. It was basically almost at the level of where you say, turn the computer on, you know? <laughs> <laughs> turn the camera on, you know, uh, but uh, so I just started and I said, well, okay, I'll do 15 videos. You know, it's funny how you think initially, I think I have over 600 now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but 
But I said, and I, and I almost have a million subscribers. I can't believe it. I mean, it's it's shocking to me. But it just goes to show you anybody. I mean, if I can do this, I'm 65 years old. If I can do this, anybody can do this. But I really, uh, I said, well, okay, I'm going to do 15 videos, my basic class structure. I'm going to start with how to roast a chicken. And then I'm going to take that carcass and I'm going to show people how to make bone broth with it, literally for pennies. And how, you know, I'm very much into no waste. And that's why I love your your uh, meal planner at Plan to Eat, because you allow for planning in because you it's so flexible. I would plan in, OK, I'm leftovers. You know? <laughs> I didn't have this structure where, OK, there's all these meals and I'm thinking, boy, how the heck are we going to get through all of this without wasting, you know? So that's what what really attracted me to your meal planner that I could plan in, I could plan to eat <laughs> leftovers, you know. So I and then I moved on to beef bone broth, and I just kind of worked my way through, and I was hoping that this would be a journey for the beginner. You know, I never want people to feel overwhelmed. I'm not a zealot. I'm not going to say okay, you've never made bread before, but we're going to make a sourdough starter. No, people would be running and screaming. <laughs> you know? And so, but I just did it slowly. And I said, okay, take, you know, it may take you a little while to master bone broth. And then, okay, now let's try, you know, fermentation and let's start with sauerkraut. That's very easy. That's a good place to start. And I always share my little secret ingredient or insurance policy, as I call it, by grating in a green apple, because the apple has uh, ingredients in it that the good bacteria really like to gobble up. Now the cabbage has that and the cabbage core has that, but that apple gives a little special boost. And so I always hope that that will help the good bacteria to proliferate, proliferate, that's a hard one for me to say, before any kind of bad bacteria can take over. So it, there, that was the journey, the 15 videos. And then the response was so, there was such an outpouring of response from so many uh, viewers who would leave me comments. And I also had the website up and running where I would put the printable recipe for folks. And I was getting a lot of emails and a lot of comments. And the outpouring of, of uh positivity <laughs> was so excellent. And I, I really saw the need for this on a larger scale than just what I had been doing in my kitchen and in other mother's kitchens, that there were people out there saying, oh my gosh, this is what I needed. I needed someone who would teach a, a full length, you know, my videos are kind of known. They, they, I, I laugh when people say, oh yes, long form content, 10 minutes. I'm like, oh my gosh, my video is 60 minutes long. <laughs> it's a full <laughs> class, you know? And people were saying, this is just what I needed. The, you, you, you go slow, you go step by step by step, and you really help me learn how to do this. And you really help me develop sort of this bench of skills that are very basic and then allow me to go on to to advance to more complicated 
uh, things. You know, I, I remember once a long time ago, long before I started, I don't even think I had started my YouTube channel yet. And, and this may, I may really be dating myself. This may actually go back to when Yahoo used to have the groups, even oh, like yeah. Facebook. Remember that? And there was some traditional foods group that I was in. And there was a post from a woman, a mother, young mother with a couple of young children. And it was this never ending paragraph, no indents, no periods, no capitals. You, you almost felt reading it that she was crying when she was typing this. And it was about feeling so overwhelmed in trying to create a traditional foods kitchen. And I read through this and I thought, oh my gosh, this woman is even struggling with learning the basics of how to cook, mm. let alone worry about making a sourdough starter. That's challenging, you know, if you have no experience at all in the kitchen. And people were trying to comfort her and give advice. And but even the advice was kind of complicated. And just as an older woman, you know, an older home cook myself, I just typed in, oh, my gosh, God bless you. Just roast a whole chicken and be done with it and call it a day. You know? <laughs> and so I always say that just you roast a chicken, throw in some, you know, and if you I know people are nervous sometimes about holding a chicken, put on some disposable gloves, just throw that in a roasting pan, throw in some carrots some onions, potatoes, these are all inexpensive ingredients. The chicken's going to cost you less than if you bought boneless, skinless chicken breasts. Pop it in the oven, hour, hour and a half later, depending on how big the chicken is, you have a great meal. And everybody, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people like a roast chicken. And most kids will eat a roast chicken. And it makes a lovely aroma in your home. And it's not like you're, because I would really see this from a lot of mothers saying, oh, my kids don't like sourdough bread. It's sour. They don't, oh, forget about liver. Yeah, if you say, hey, come on, kids, come on to the table. We're having liver for dinner. And they've been raised on, you know, some kind of chicken nugget. They're going to, of course, they're going to balk. <laughs> I remember the first time I served my son liver, I had put it, I had, batter dipped it and fried it in beef tallow and served it with fermented ketchup. And he, now he had been raised on traditional food. So it wasn't like total, a total shock to him, but he knew what chicken nuggets looked like. <laughs> he knew these weren't chicken nuggets. And he looked at it and he said, mom, what is this? And I said, oh, they're nuggets. Just try them. You'll like them. You know? <laughs> and being the good egg that he is, he's dipping them in the fermented ketchup. And he's like, yeah, they're not bad. You know, anything deep fried is not bad. <laughs> but even, you know, I laugh because in, in the cookbook that I wrote, the Modern Pioneer Cookbook, I my dedication is basically uh, me saying to my son, thank you so much for trusting me and eating the beef liver nuggets. <laughs> but you have to, you know, a lot of times all you can do is just start with a roast chicken and everybody for the most part will eat that. And even, even if children are used to eating other foods, 
they may find that your roast chicken's pretty tasty and it may be as tasty to them uh, as fast food that they may have become accustomed to. And so that's sort of the whole journey. I know I think I went on very long here. <laughs> Everything started. Uh, but and then after those 15 videos, I the response was very uh, encouraging. And so I just kept making more videos and exploring in more detail uh, how to use bone broth, how to expand your fermentation a repertoire, so to speak, how to make uh, sourdough bread in a little more detail. And I also started adding videos because people were asking me, how do you just make bread? You know, what if all I have is all-purpose flour and, and packaged yeast? How do I make bread? And so even though that's not something that I make on a regular basis. I mean, I know I know how to make it very easily. I realized, well, I'm going to, I'm not going to be a zealot. I'm not going to say you have to only have sourdough bread. I'm going to show people how to make bread. And so that I think really helped a lot of people. And I thought it was so cute because people would say, oh, I finally worked up the courage and I made the sandwich bread recipe that you shared. And it was so easy. You were right. And then six months later, you know, none of my videos go viral. You know, I, I don't have that type of channel. I have people who will come back to me six months later and they'll say, oh, I've been making your sandwich bread. I feel like I've mastered bread and now I'm going to try sourdough, you know, and I think it's it's very cute because I always say this is a journey. This can take a year. This can take two years until you feel you have a comfortable rhythm running a traditional foods kitchen. Don't rush. If you rush and you try to do everything, you get overwhelmed and so, and then, then 2020 came and people were writing, oh my gosh, I only had a week's worth of food. What the heck am I supposed to do now? So I started, I started making videos about how to build a traditional foods pantry, how to stock it and how to store food so that it does last and so on and so forth. And that became very popular. You know, there, there always seems to my, my viewers, really, my channel has grown and expanded over the years, as is my website. But it's the type of thing that has been very viewer driven, because I really, and I really believe this for anybody out there who's thinking about doing a YouTube channel, it has to be all about the viewer. And you certainly have to have some, uh, for lack of a better word, you know, a passion about what you're doing, because if you want to be in this for the long haul, you don't want to get to a point where you say, oh, I don't like making these videos or whatever the case may be. It has to be something that you're interested in, but there also has to be an audience for what you're, you're teaching or, you know, some people entertain, you know, some people have music, whatever the case may be. And you, you have to have a passion for it. And then you have to teach, in my case, being a how-to channel, you have to teach these things and at the same time, really pay attention to what the viewers are asking you to teach. And that is how little by little, 
you expand your channel or morph your channel in terms of topics that you now kind of have this umbrella and under this umbrella is not only teaching how to make traditional foods, but how to stock the pantry. And I had a lot of people, especially, you know, during 2020, you know, how do you make home remedies? How, you know, you couldn't get elderberry syrup. Well, how do you make elderberry syrup homemade? So then I kind of had the whole healing <laughs> pantry discussion and, and whatnot. But that's, ex you know, how it all began and, and how it grew. Well, I think all of that is so amazing. And I, uh, you're, I would say that you're maybe like a non-typical YouTuber, you know, most of the people I see on YouTube are more my age, but I think it's so encouraging. And I'm certain that there are lots of people who are in your age group who are so happy to see somebody their age being on YouTube, teaching things. And I think that all of your videos are so approachable. You were the one who taught me how to make bone broth through your YouTube videos. And I remember at first feeling kind of intimidated. Like I had to watch the video a couple times and be like, write down the steps, you know, like make sure I was putting in enough apple cider vinegar and things like that. And then after a few times of doing it, I didn't need to look at the recipe anymore. I, I could just do, you know, now I make bone broth and I just uh, do it based off of memory, because it actually right. is really simple. It feels complicated and a little intimidating at first, but it's actually really not. And I, I thank you for teaching me that skill. Oh, thank you. It's very kind of you to say, yes, I think that's, it, it, it is very true. And I, I find that once people get exposed to this and they're able to watch visually watch something step-by-step step, they're they're like, oh, okay, this is really not that difficult to do. This is manageable. I can do this. I can start incorporating this. And this lady is nice. She's telling me, don't rush. Don't worry about it. And I really do try to say that, that, you know, I always liked the, the TV chef and I guess, you know, real life chef, Emeril Lagasse and how he would say, it's not rocket science, you know, and, <laughs> and you really can't. Okay. Are there the occasional culinary disasters where something burns that you're cooking? Oh, of course that happens to all of us, but for the most part, you know, it doesn't need to be perfect. You know, I always say I'm the lady who's going to tell you, you never need a scale. You know, you don't need to be weighing everything. And our ancestors didn't do that. We don't need to do that either. A little bit this way, a little bit that way. It's not going to be the end of the world. But it, it is true that I think that uh, a lot of people on YouTube are, are you know, young, younger than me. Uh, and I, I have found it encouraging, though, and I really say this to any of your listeners who are in, in my age group, younger people often, and I think he, he, this is even true of me, talk, my mother's 98 years old, and I look to her, you know, for, for the wisdom that she has. Uh, but I find it very cute when viewers will say to me, oh, my gosh, you're like the grandmother I never had. And my son gets such a kick out of this because he's like grandmother. He said, you're my mother, but because <laughs> I'm an older mom, you know, I very well could be, uh, you know, people's, you know, these are people in their twenties. They're my son's age, but uh, they're cute because they're like, oh, you're like the grandmother I ever had. Never, every once in a while I do get, I do get, oh, you're like the mother I never had, <laughs> but it, it's amazing. And I do tell this to people in my age group who talk about, you know, wanting to uh, create a YouTube channel and who have a lot of knowledge, who have a lot of experience. And I think that there are, um, 
you know, like grandfathers and dads who have these wonderful fixing up channels, you know, uh, fixer up channels, I guess they're called, and, and how to repair things. And these are often, you know, middle-aged or older men who have been working in various fields uh, during the course of their life. And they have a lot of knowledge to share and they are plumbing experts or carpentry experts or whatever the case may be. But I, I often tell people that the good news is this is not as hard as people may think it is. You know, I learned all this later in life and it, it really, it's amazing how much, and I would imagine this is true. I'm not very knowledgeable about other social media, but I would imagine that this spans all social media. So what I say for YouTube probably is true of other social media, but YouTube is very helpful. You know, you, a little behind the scenes for your listeners, what we see as creators, they have something called the creator studio where you're uploading your video and doing all of that. I mean, they walk you through step by step by step. They couldn't make it easier because they want people on the platform. And I think they want people of all ages on the platform because everybody serves some niche. Mm -hmm. You know, that there are, regardless of your age, there's most of the time there is something you have to offer and there is a viewer looking for you. I often tell people that because they say, oh, there's so many, you know, cooking channels or oh, there's so many fixer up channels or whatever the case may be. But there are sometimes viewers who are looking for you and they have not discovered the person on YouTube that they connect with. And then when you come on board and they discover you, they connect with you. So it's more about personality, especially when you're looking at a video, it's more about personality and the comfort level that people feel with you. So I, I always encourage people, I say, it's always, if it's something you want to do, it's always worth a try because the, I'm one, and I, I can probably say this with a hundred percent certainty there are viewers out there who want to connect with you. Oh, that's great inspiration. Great creative inspiration as well. <laughs> so one thing that you describe yourself as pretty frequently is a modern pioneer. I know it's also part of the title of your cookbook, but can you tell me a little bit about what a modern pioneer is? Oh, that's a great question. Yes, that is. That's funny. It's the name of uh, the my cookbook. My my editor it was cute when uh, Random House contacted me uh, to write a cookbook. The editor said, "Oh, we'd like to call it the Modern Pioneer Cookbook because you have in the tagline of your YouTube channel traditional cooking for the modern pioneer." And he said, "How do you like that?" You know, and I said, "Oh, that sounds that sounds good." And just as a little aside, uh, this I definitely share with people who are thinking about doing a YouTube channel and who are thinking that they might like to write a cookbook. I was discovered on YouTube. The My editor at Random House was actually looking for how to make sauerkraut just on a personal level. And he saw my video and he made sauerkraut at home. And he said, you know, I'd like to have this lady write a cookbook for us. And he contacted me. I thought it was spam. Because <laughs> <laughs> who's, 
a random house is not contacting me. Are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> and my husband said, no, that's a legitimate email. So I, I looked the man up on LinkedIn and sure enough, he was legitimate. And I called him and we had a good laugh over the fact that I thought he was, you know, some, some spam or scam or whatever the terminology is. We had a good laugh over that. And he said, oh yeah, we'd like you to write a cookbook for us. And so you never know, you never know where these things are going to lead to. I, I still can't believe it. And it's for their DK imprint. And if anybody's familiar with DK books, they're gorgeous. They, and I I've seen a, uh, they have the cover, you know, up and all of that. They send you a dummy copy, a little behind the scenes initially, that's just the cover. So you can see what the cover is going to look like, but it's all blank pages inside and it's being printed right now. And they sent me one of the first runs of, of the printed copy. Wow. They did such a nice job. They, the editor, the photographer, and the food stylist came to my kitchen and I hear I'm like making the food and the food stylist is putting it on the plate, making everything look nice. And the photographer is taking the picture. The editor's approving it. It was quite an adventure. They were here for over a week and it was quite an adventure. I will say I was completely exhausted. Yeah, <laughs> it, was it was lots of fun, but I was like up till two o'clock in the morning, making sure the sourdough starter looked fine you know when the photographer got here there's a lot of timing that goes into preparing traditional foods so we had quite the laugh but uh, it was a lot of a lot of fun so I think people who are familiar with my channel or my website they'll enjoy the cookbook because it's the pictures are taken right here in my kitchen yeah and and I'm actually the one making the food you know so it really looks the way it looks you know it may not always uh look perfect because it's homemade you know it's not been prepared by a chef and it's funny too because I said to the editor don't you want a chef to prepare this you know he's like oh no we want it to look real world and the food stylist will make it look nice on the plate <laughs> but in any event the, the whole concept of the modern pioneer as you asked that uh is something that I think of in terms of there are people who we think of as pioneers, you know, going back in at least here in the United States to like the 1800s and trekking across, you know, I'm not one of them and I don't live off grid, you know, <laughs> none of that. And then we have like, I think often you hear the term modern pioneer used, you know, for people like your Elon Musk's, you know, mm -hmm. and people who are really creating amazing technology and and uh you know <laughs> what did i think he talks about going to mars you know? right yeah like he's really pioneering yeah and things like that but how i think of modern pioneer is modern pi we're modern pioneers in the kitchen it doesn't matter where we live and we're and I really I often say to people, I stress the term modern because we're happy we've got running water and we're happy we've got indoor plumbing. And it doesn't matter. I mean, I used to live in an apartment in New York City. It doesn't matter whether we live in the suburbs. It doesn't matter whether we live in the city. And it doesn't matter if we're like way out in the country either. We can all be modern pioneers and specifically modern pioneers in the kitchen we can learn how to make food in a traditional way so that we are more self-sufficient. And then by being self-sufficient, ultimately we can reach goals 
of creating low waste or no waste kitchens, which is so important because I'm hard. I, I can't stand waste. You know, my parents lived through the depression, the great depression of the 1930s here in the United States. My mother never wasted anything. And I will share a story with you that my father was sitting at, he's since passed away. My mom, as I mentioned, is still alive. She's 98. She's amazing. Still going strong. <laughs> it's all the butter. She always says, oh, yeah. <laughs> she says, oh yeah, the doctor told me 30 years ago, stop eating butter. He's passed away and I'm still going. Strong. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but my father was sitting at the kitchen table and the newspaper came and it had like a rubber band around it. And the rubber band was really dirty. And I put it in the garbage and my father looked at me and he said, oh, you throw away the best stuff. Give me that rubber band. I'll take it home. I can use that rubber band. <laughs> you know, these are people, they never wasted anything. Uh, my father was one of those fellas who had all the little jars or coffee cans in the garage with every single screw he had ever found, every <laughs> single bolt, you know, he could fix anything, you know. And he always, you would say, oh, I need X and such. Oh, I've got that for you. <laughs> and my mother was the same way. The woman could make a meal from scraps, what many people would throw out. And as I had mentioned earlier, I was, I'm horrified when I read these articles, when you pick up a magazine or a newspaper or online, that Americans throw away something like 40% of the food. I don't know mm. if I'm exactly accurate on that, but it's horrible that yeah. we're throwing away food like that. So when I use the term modern pioneer and specifically modern pioneer in the kitchen, I want us to be like our ancestors. Our ancestors never wasted anything. They ate, what's the expression? Nose to tail. They ate everything, nothing went to waste, whether it was an animal product or a vegetable product, everything was used in some shape. Look, I mean, I grew up with like pickled, what do they call it? Pickled watermelon rind. I mean, even the rinds of things didn't go to waste. And so that is very, very important to me that we're modern pioneers in the sense that we can live anywhere. You know, we're not on the covered wagon train. We can live anywhere and we can live a very modern life. But we really need to look at how our ancestors lived when it came to food, because we got to stop this waste. This is unacceptable. Uh, we should never be wasting food. And that's why I always talk <clears throat> I'm kind of known now for, you know, saying, <laughs> I say to everybody, my friends, my family, and my, what I call my sweet friends, you know, the people I know online, do you have a scrap bag? I mm. want to see the scrap bag. Where is the scrap bag? You know? <laughs> and I, you peel a carrot, you save the shavings, you cut the tip and the, and the shell or the root off. It goes into the scrap bag. You peel an onion, don't you dare throw, throw away those onion skins. They, those have nutrition and they go into the scrap bag. And I will also share that I am not a zealot when it comes to organic or non-organic. Is organic great? Is pasture-raised great? That's all wonderful. And if you can afford that, by all means, knock yourself out and definitely have all of those things. But if you can't, don't worry. 
I recently read an article and I think that, um, oh, I can't remember who was put out by one of the uh, watchdog groups that, you know, track pesticides on foods and whatnot. And even they were saying that we have to be careful to not become so overcome by making sure every single thing we buy is organic. Mm. Because first of all, Organic doesn't mean pesticide free. People need to understand that and understand that there are approved pesticides that, yes, may, might they be less strong than other pesticides? Yes. May they be more tested? Yes. All of that. But you couldn't have uh, agricultural production on large scales without some use of pesticides and those are approved as organic. But this organization's article was outstanding because they said, we have so scared people that, that if they can't afford organic fruits and vegetables, don't buy them. Mm. And then what happens is, especially in lower income uh, families, and I'm this is another reason too why I, I really try to teach to use everything you have and make the most of all of your scraps because you can... Uh, control your grocery budget. And this really can help lower income families that have reduced income to spend on food to begin with. And this article said that we so scared people, especially low income families from buying fruits and vegetables because they couldn't afford organic mm. that then they wound up just buying some sort of cheap packaged food. And that's not good for anybody's health. And then you see a terrible increase in diabetes and other uh, health-related illnesses that are often food-related because people aren't eating real food. They're not eating traditional foods. They're not properly preparing their foods. You know, it's a whole litany of things. And so I will say to people, don't worry. Buy what you can afford. Stay in your budget. Stress is never good for anybody. Don't try to uh, spend beyond your food budget. But as you learn to cook traditional foods, as you learn from your ancestors, as you become a modern pioneer in the kitchen, you suddenly find, and you decrease buying a lot of processed and prepared foods, you suddenly find you have a few extra dollars in your grocery budget and you can start to buy a little better food. But don't worry if you can't buy organic. Buy what you can afford. And there's so many things on the internet today on how to wash, whether you're using baking soda or vinegar or citric acid, uh, you can scrub and soak and this and that, your fruits and vegetables and help maybe remove some, not all, but some of the pesticides and whatnot. But even I, I love some of the lectures that I've seen Sally Fallon give uh, of nourishing traditions, Sally Fallon Morell, uh, because even she talks about how don't get so obsessed about this. Mm. It's it's much more important to have, even when it comes to liver, even if you can't get beef liver from uh, pasture or grass-fed raised animals, it the, the animal's body has ways of processing out toxins so that the product that you're eating is actually better than eating some fast food. Right. And the same goes with chickens and, you know, eggs, all of these foods. And so that's really what I mean when I say modern pioneer, modern pioneer in the kitchen. Do the best you can with what you have. Stay in your budget. 
little by little try to to buy less processed food, start making more things homemade, move a little more money into your grocery budget to buy better foods, search out uh, things in your area, whether at the farmer's market or at, from a rancher or a dairy where you may be able to start buying raw milk. You may find a rancher who has bones that he wants to unload that people don't want. You know, I, the place now, now, the law here in Texas is different. We can buy raw milk at the farmer's market, but we couldn't for a while. And so we had to go to the farm, to the dairy farm. And it was funny because I remember years back when I was there, the dairy farmer, uh, I was saying, oh, do you know any ranchers, you know, that might have bones or whatnot? And he was laughing and he was saying, oh, I love you. You're so old fashioned. You ask for all the stuff nobody wants. <laughs> now, it's changed a little, you know, with the advent of popularity of bone broth and, and a lot of these traditional foods. Uh, but he called up his buddy who was a rancher and he would come with these big bags of all these mist, you know, I don't know what you call it, like mishmash of, of different things. And then I'd be like, oh, do you have any organ meats? He's like, I love you. Nobody <laughs> wants these things, you know. You've got heart, you've got tongue, you've got liver. You know? And he's like, oh, this is what nobody wants, you know. But uh, so it all over time, you know, you get better and better at this and you get better at shopping and you get better at making these foods and your budget uh, becomes a little more expanded, you know, as to what you can afford. But it's all about ultimately working to make more foods homemade, being a modern pioneer. Look to what our ancestors did. Make more things homemade, waste less and properly prepare your food. This is something that we often forget. Our ancestors knew how to properly prepare food. They understood about uh, slow roasting meats, slow cooking meats on the bone because the bone puts nutrients into the meat that makes it more digestible and allows you to better absorb the nutrients that the, the meat has to offer. Save the bones and make bone broth. Again, bone broth soothes our, soothes our digestive system and also makes it primed, so to speak. We prime the pump to better absorb nutrients. And then secondly, our ancestors knew how to preserve fruits and vegetables, and they knew how to preserve them through fermentation. And why was fermentation important? Because fermentation not only preserves food, it increases the nutrients in food. Sauerkraut, for example, cabbage does contain vitamin C, but when you ferment it and turn it into sauerkraut, which living here in the Texas Hill Country where there were a lot of German immigrants, uh, and I've actually seen they have these working farms where people pretend that it's like the 1800s, and our ancestors would ferment the cabbage that would increase the vitamin C and also make it easier for our systems to absorb, our digestive systems to absorb the vitamin C from the cabbage that now had been turned into sauerkraut. And this helped our ancestors have a nice supply of vitamin C throughout the winter when we're more susceptible to colds and flus, when because the weather is turning chilly and our body's having to work 
harder at staying warm. And that can help, that can contribute, not help, but contribute to lowering our immunity. But here our ancestors were eating a fermented food that gave them vitamin C. Vitamin C helps uh, boost the immune system and fend off colds and flus. And back then, a cold and flu, this was could be life-threatening, you know? So we learned that. And then we learned that they also soured their grains and they made sourdough bread. Why? Because it was more digestible and it was easier for our body to assimilate the nutrients that came from the wheat. So there was all this rhyme and reason as to why our ancestors properly prepared their food because they had to make sure that they extracted every last bit of nutrition out of those foods because often foods were scarce, Often foods were limited into what, what they might have, especially as they were going through the winter months. So that's really what it all boils down to, just looking at what our ancestors did, but being able to do this, and how lucky are we being able to do this through our modern lifestyles. So we're modern pioneers. We're you know, we're not wasting, we're properly preparing food, we're making more and more foods like ketchup and mustard and mayonnaise, learning to make these things homemade with the ingredients that we know and can pronounce. <laughs> if you've looked at the ingredients of some of these things, uh, making them in the old fashioned way, but having all the modern conveniences, how lucky are we? You know, we have a lot more free time than our ancestors did. And I think that's something that we need to keep in mind as modern pioneers in the kitchen, that it doesn't need to be overwhelming because if our ancestors were doing this without electricity, without running water, without indoor plumbing, uh, they were starting at sunrise and going all the ways until sunset. How lucky are we that we can do this in a modern a modern way um, uh, with a modern lifestyle and so it shouldn't be overwhelming it should be something that we take step by step and learn little by little and how beautiful it is when you start looking at all of the ingredients you use to cook with and you see everything in a new light mm -hmm. you see those onion skins oh i'm not throwing those out they're going into the stock pot Oh, those carrot shavings, they're going into the stock pot. Oh, I made bone broth with bones, but you know, there's still some cartilage on here and it's not, it's not been melted down yet. I'm saving those bones. I'm going to do a second run. I'm going to do another, you know, we talk about in the bone broth community, perpetual bone broth. Now, is it perpetual <laughs> forever? No, but you can often get multiple uh, batches of bone broth out of one set of bones. And today that's very important because it's getting harder and harder uh, to afford beef bones as bone broth has become so popular. But even then you can look to what did our ancestors do? They may not have always had the bones. Sometimes they had to sell some of their meats. Mm. And so they didn't to pay their bill that they were running up at their little country store where they may be buying grain because they didn't grow their own grain. You know, every farms did different things. So you looked, what did our ancestors do? They often saved the tendons and the ligaments 
and they would use these to make bone broth. And how wonderful is that? Because tendons and ligaments are still really inexpensive to buy. Even if you have to order them online, they're, they're pretty inexpensive. That's the other thing as being part of a modern pioneer in the kitchen, you always have to be thinking, you always have to be creative. And, you know, you, you say now, you know, asparagus are in season and you break the asparagus and you have the, t the, the bottom part that's tough. What can you do with that? I show you in a YouTube video how to whirl those with some ingredients and make a dip that's so tasty you can serve it to company. And they're going to say, oh, wow, how'd you make this? And you can tell them the bottom of the asparagus because <laughs> they didn't go in the garbage. You know, and of course, a lot of this can go if you do... Um, composting and whatnot. A lot of this can go into your compost, but how better that it goes into serving some nutritional purpose uh, for your for your family and friends and tasty. And you know, I, I often talk about this is this is just the worst. Oh gosh, when I think about because I I my friends would say, oh yeah, I cleaned out the fridge today. Boy, I had that What's the thing in the in the sink? You know the the garbage the, disposal. The, gar yeah. the garbage disposal. Oh, I had that thing running, and the water was running, and I was throwing stuff down there. And oh, I'm so proud! I cleaned out my my refrigerator. I said, I'm not proud. I'm horrified <laughs> <laughs> because you probably could have made meals with all of those things that you threw out. You know, I always talk about you. You got to have your clean out the crisper soup, which. Basically, you put everything in a soup pot that's a little past its prime. Nobody's going to notice uh, when it's turned into a soup. And you also have to learn to have your clean out the fridge meals uh, where you kind of just sort of pull things out. Okay, I got a little meat here. Okay, I got a little this there. I got a little that there. And this is where I love how your meal planner, the plan to eat meal planner comes in handy because you can actually put in there, okay, clean out the fridge meal. You <laughs> don't know what it's going to be, but you know, come, you know, whatever is, and I often like to do these sort of early in the week. Our garbage day is Wednesday or no, it's Thursday actually, but Wednesday is the day, you know, we bring everything out to the curb. And so it's like I have the clean out the fridge meal scheduled for Wednesday because I you, you're going to have to go into your fridge and before you even think twice about throwing anything out, you figure out, OK, how can I make a meal out of this? And when you bring something and you've got it in your hand and you're holding it over your garbage can, look at that a couple of times and say, OK. Do I really want to put this in the garbage can or can I really make a meal out of this? And then it becomes like a game <laughs> and you get really excited about it. And, and, you know, now I love it when my friends say, oh, Mara, I cleaned out the fridge. I made a dinner. Everybody was raving about it. And it was stuff that would have otherwise gone in the garbage. You know, and food is expensive today. I mean, gosh, the inflation that we've been hit with is is... Not not unprecedented for my lifetime. I lived through the 1970s, but <laughs> which we had terrible, terrible inflation. But this is new to a lot of young home cooks. And they've seen their grocery budget really have to either expand or you, you had to learn how to really make the most of what you could afford. 
And so it, it just becomes so, so fulfilling when you realize how much food you actually do have available to you to make meals with. Mm. I really like the life, kind of like the lifestyle aspect of a life cycle. I mean, life cycle Mm -hmm. aspect that you talked about there with, um, I feel like it's a lost knowledge of, okay, if we prepare food this way, it increases these kinds of nutrients and it feeds our body in this sort of a way. And we need these nutrients in certain times of the year. That is knowledge that I don't think most people in our day and age really have anymore, but I, it's such a beautiful idea to think that, oh, well, it's actually, you know, it's an easy way to keep this cabbage all winter long, but then also the cabbage serves our bodies better. Uh, I, I love hearing about those kinds of things. Um, and then I wanted to circle back to you talking about kind of the budget aspect of the way that you do your YouTube videos. Cause that's something I've always appreciated about your videos is when you're teaching people how to make homemade yogurt, you're, you, you give like four different options for milk that somebody could use. You have the, you know, the pasteurized organic, the most expensive bottle of milk that you could buy. And then you also have the 2% store brand so that people know you can get the same product, no matter what you're using and you can make it fit to your lifestyle and your budgetary needs. And I think that's, that is so important because I do think that there's a lot of barriers to entry for people thinking, well, I can't buy all organic food or I can't buy grass-fed meat, or, you know, I can't buy the grass-fed milk, or maybe they don't like the way the grass-fed milk tastes, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And so I think that's such a special thing that you do is that you help people see that no matter where they're at in their position in life, that it's accessible to them to do these things. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that you like that. You know, it's funny. I will sometimes get comments and people say, oh, Mary, for heaven's sakes, why do you even bother giving a recipe? Your whole video is saying, well, if you don't have this, use that. If you don't have this, use that. If you don't have this, use that. <laughs> that really was very much a goal of mine to make this accessible, to make the entry basically starting at zero, whatever you have, don't worry about it, you know? And, and I laugh, you know, because I say, oh, all you can find is ultra pasteurized milk. Don't worry. I can show you how to work with it. We're going to make it more nutritious. We're going to put back into it some of the things that have been destroyed through the ultra pasteurization process. And that's why, you know, I do the same thing on my how to roast a chicken video. I line up the chickens. I felt a little like Julia Child. You know, she has that famous video where she's like, and meet Miss Capon and meet Miss Roaster, you know. And, you know, I, I sometimes I take a lot of flack for this, you know, but I tell people I don't care how the chicken was raised. You know, just start with a roast chicken. And I always joke that if I if one day I were ever to write a memoir, like when I'm in my 90s, the title of the book would be just start with a roast chicken. You know, <laughs> I, I, I'm I not going to berate you because all you can afford is a 99 cents a pound chicken at mm. the grocery store. St- you got to start somewhere. And sometimes your children need clothes. The car needs gas. You know, you have you might have a very small budget. 
And I never want people to feel that they can't enter into creating a traditional foods kitchen because they couldn't afford X or they couldn't be perfect. Mm -hmm. None of that. Start where you're at. I love that there's an expression that I've seen a lot of people say, grow where you're planted. I think Mm -hmm. that's a grow where you're planted. Just start, do the best you can. Don't berate yourself that you don't have the perfect this or the perfect that. Just start. And as you start on this journey, things change little by little over time. Also, your stress level is a lot lower when you just start, so to speak, where you're planted. Just do the best that you can and use whatever milk you can find. Use whatever cream you can find. Use whatever chicken you can find. Just learn these skills and don't become so concerned initially about the sourcing of your products. You will, as you go on your journey, you will start to discover things just by going to the farmer's market and talking with the different vendors where you may be able to source a slightly better product than what you're buying at the grocery store. But if not, that's okay, because I'm gonna teach you how to take products from the grocery store and basically reinstill some of the nutrition that had been destroyed by some sort of process, uh, even with the flour, even if mm-hmm. all you get is all-purpose flour or bread flour, where all of the bran and germ has been sifted out of it, don't worry about it. I'm going to show you how to increase the nutrition of these things. And that is very important. And Going back to what you said about eating foods, you know, seasonally and having the nutrition, something that's not often talked about. And I find this absolutely fascinating. And this is a subject that more and more scientists are delving into and looking into is that did you know our gut bacteria, the good bacteria in our guts change slightly with the seasons? And so you may find eating fresh fruit in the middle of January doesn't agree with you. Mm -hmm. But you may find that eating fresh fruit in June when it's in season and your microbiome is primed for it, it agrees with you. You may find this with bread. You may find this with meat, that our systems are primed for different foods at different times of year when they're actually in season. Wherever we live, whatever climate we're in, and if if you've, say, recently relocated from somewhere across the world, it does take a little time for your microbiome to, uh, to adjust to that. But if you've basically lived in the same place, And not even like necessarily the same, like speaking of the United States, if you're just basically in the Northern Hemisphere, yeah, your microbiome is adjusted to the seasons. And that's why seasonal eating is very important. Don't eat strawberries in January, you know? First of all, they're going to be expensive, yeah. They won't taste very good either. Yeah, they don't (laughs) taste very good, yeah. And a lot of people will say to me, Mary, how do I know what's in season, you know? And- Oh, I, in my area, oh, the lists on the internet. Oh, I don't want to deal with that. I always say, just go to the grocery store. 
whatever you see and whatever you see that is reasonably priced, for example, in the produce section, chances are that's what's in season, you know? <laughs> it's oh, it's not really that hard, you know, to to know. But I I, I think that this is is really going to be a, a a future discussion as we go forward in the years to come about the the real importance of eating seasonally and our microbiome and the importance of properly preparing food for the season you're in, like sauerkraut. You know, sauerkraut is probably best eaten during those winter months. And how interesting is this? Our ancestors had a grow season, then they had a harvest season. And at the end of harvest season is when they were preserving their food. They were either home canning it, they were smoking it, they were drying it, they were fermenting it, whatever the case may be. And then these were the foods that they were eating during the winter months. And then come spring when often their food supplies in many cases were very low. What were they eating in the early spring? Greens, bitter greens were starting to grow up. And what do bitter greens do? They often clear out a lot of, um, now for lack of a better word, I don't know if I, really toxins is appropriate, but just the buildup of different, uh, an overbuildup, and I'll explain that in a minute, an overbuildup of sometimes too many vitamins and minerals from eating all these really super nutrient dense foods that you need throughout the winter. But then these greens were cleansing the palate. They were cleansing the digestive system. They were waking up the digest digestive system, preparing it for all the fresh foods that we were going to start eating. And this is when I say we, I'm talking about our ancestors, the, the, the milk, you drink more milk during the warmer months, and then you culture it as you get towards going into the winter. And so all of these things were, they, they, our ancestors were really following this cycle of eating. And so then they were eating these fresh greens, and then they were going into having the raw milk. And then they were skimming the cream, which was now really yellow because the cattle were eating these fresh greens. And in the cat in the cow's body, that turns into omega-3s, the fatty acid omega-3 that we hear so much about in salmon. And so now this butter was really yellow. And so it was very rich in omega-3s. And so they were then starting to have more mature greens. And what were they doing? They were cooking them and putting this butter on them. And what does butter do? Butter helps you as all fats, helps you absorb the nutrients from vegetables. Yeah. So it's wonderful to see. And something that I think you can even go way back past the pioneers, you can go back to ancient times. Why did certain cultures in the spring, eat unleavened bread. Because you always hear, oh, we got to soak the bread. We got to deactivate the anti-nutrients like phytic acid that'll strip our bodies of vitamins and minerals. So we have to sour it. We have to make sourdough bread. But why then did ancient cultures just in the spring, if you look at especially uh, Judeo and Judeo-Christian calendars, why were they, why were, for example, the Israelites and the Jewish people, why were they eating in ancient times 
unleavened bread in the spring. Well, you know why? Because that's when you do want some phytic acid in your system. Phytic acid has a good and a bad side. And in the spring, the phytic acid pull, did pull out some of the nutrients from the people's bodies, but it needed to be pulled out because after the winter months, they were often eating foods that were high in iron. And many cultures, and I find this especially interesting, uh, I'm Italian descent on my mother's side, but I'm Irish descent on my, on my father's side, and I'll explain that in a minute. But these, the phytic acid needed to strip out a little bit of that iron because in some cultures, we hold on to iron. And too much iron is not good for us. And so eating these unleavened breads where the phytic acid was in full swing, it was pulling a little bit of that iron out of our systems. And also phytic acid has antioxidant properties. So it was flushing the system with antioxidants and pulling out a little bit of that extra iron that might have been a little too hard on our hearts. And a culture in my own uh, history, Irish, is that Irish people tend to hold on to iron. And I will tell you to this day, even at 65 years old, I always have plenty of iron. I am never iron deficient. I have never been iron deficient. And it, and it wasn't until I started studying phytic acid that I learned why, given my cultural heritage. And so... I never worry about eating and I even make the habit of it because sometimes my iron can actually be a little high and we know too much iron is not good for our hearts. And when you're a postmenopausal woman, those of in your audience who may be postmenopausal women, uh, you know, once we go through menopause, we're not losing any iron. And that's why you often hear of older women might have heart attacks if they've held on to too much iron. Hmm. And so I never worry about eating unleavened bread in the spring. And I feel that it pulls out some of that extra iron in my body. So it's just, this is, I can get very excited about this. <laughs> I find it fascinating too. I, I love hearing about those kinds of things. It's something that I would like to research a little bit more myself because I do just think it's a such a, like I said, a beautiful life cycle of a, of plants and the food that we eat. Um, but I want to get a little bit into your book. So why don't you... I want, I want to hear a little bit about, about your cookbook, obviously, but I'm curious if the cookbook is a, a standalone item, or do you feel that it complements your YouTube channel and vice versa? Uh, what was the intention in creating it from, you know, a lot of the things that you talk about on YouTube? I really wanted to uh, create the Modern Pioneer cookbook to be a complete standalone item. It is a lot more, even though cookbook is in the title, it's a lot more than a cookbook. It was very important to me when I was approached to write this. And it's funny because my editor, he jokes, he says, I've never done a book like this before. It's a manual. And that's what I wanted. I wanted people to be able to buy something that was completely inclusive, completely self-sustaining, and could be put on their bookshelf and pulled off every time they needed a manual on how to make traditional foods. 
yes, it has all the recipes. Yes, it has all the step-by-step. And of course, certainly, yes, there is the YouTube channel. There is the website, you know, to back all of this up. But even if you didn't have that, even if tomorrow the internet went away, you would have this manual that walks you through all the traditional foods. I walk people through, first of all, how to stock a pantry, a traditional foods pantry. Then I go through each category, how to make bone broth, how to render animal fats, how to rent, you know, how to take suet and render it beef suet and render it into beef tallow, how to render, you know, pork fat, how to make lard, how to render chicken fat, make schmaltz and all, you know, I walk them through that. I walk people through uh, how to culture dairy. And I really tried to always focus on things that didn't require people buying anything special. Mm. You know, even you know, as you said, my yogurt video, you don't even need a yogurt maker. And I tell people in the beginning, just start with a bowl. You just need a bowl. Yeah. <laughs> and our, our ancestors didn't have yogurt makers. You know, I mean, we're lucky we have it. And if you do, great. But know that that's not a required entry point. Yeah. And I talk about how to ferment a variety of things, not just vegetables. I talk about how to ferment fruits. I talk how to make I talk about how to make homemade condiments and then how to ferment them. I show very easy ways to make a sourdough starter. And I give a lot of options. You know, I've talked <clears throat> to a certain extent about this on my YouTube channel, but there's even so much more in the book. And I I really walk people through how, even if it's not, even if I have people who have come to me and they're like, oh my gosh, no matter what I do, I can't get a sourdough starter going. And then I say, okay, that's not the end of the world. Take a pinch of packaged yeast, throw it in there, get it bubbling, get it going, and then keep feeding it and start baking with it. And over time, it's just going to be as good as any other you know, sourdough yeah. starter is my, you know, I, and I give all these different steps with the last step being just throwing a pinch of yeast. I also have a chapter all about home canning. That's been become very interesting to people. And it's a lot easier than people realize, you know, once you just like with the bone broth, once you go through a few steps and you kind of get into the rhythm of it. And I start with water bath canning. It's much easier than pressure canning and you don't need any special equipment. Again, you know, that speaks to my heart. You don't need anything special. And I talk about herbs and drying herbs. And, and I talk about preserving in different ways other than home canning, you know, through drying. And I show people how to make fermented beverages. I talk about making sprouted, how to sprout grain, how to make sprouted flour, if that's something people want to do, how to bake with sprouted flour. And then I kind of kick it up a notch and I say, okay, now we're going to have some dessert. (laughs) (laughs) And I show how to bake with alternative sweeteners as opposed to white sugar. And then really towards the end of the book, I help you pull it all together and I show you how to make meals using all of these things throughout this manual that you've learned how to make, whether it's your homemade, you know, I have a whole section on homemade dairy, not just yogurt, but how to make cottage cheese 
and how to make uh, a whole host of dairy-based products. And so that was really my whole intention of writing this, you know, the Modern Pioneer Cookbook was let, let me give people a manual that they can walk through, you know, to go beyond uh, like nourishing traditions, you know, is just fabulous. I mean, it's, it's a tome and it, it's just got a whole host of recipes, but I wanted to really kind of take that book, but take it a step further where I'm really walking people through. If those are people who are familiar with nourishing traditions, it doesn't, the recipes are short and there's a lot of knowledge that is assumed. And I really wanted to take people, I wanted a beginner to be able to pick up this manual, start with chapter one, not feel overwhelmed, feel that I'm right there holding their hand and talking to them. And, you know, every chapter more or less has what I like to think of as a pep talk, you know, that you can do this we're home cooks, we're home bakers. None of this needs to be perfect. Even if you think in your own mind, your bread is a flop, I will tell you Dallas to Donuts, <laughs> people are gonna walk in the kitchen and say, you made bread? And I often <laughs> remember my girlfriend who was not, she wasn't really much of a, a home cooking wasn't her thing, but she was so cute because I had made, I think it was like a rye bread and I wasn't so happy with it. And she's like, oh, you made bread? And she ate like half a loaf of it. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't even really, and she's like, oh, I love these hearty rye breads. It was a little dense, you know, but to her it was hearty, you know, <laughs> and she enjoyed it. She inhaled it, you know. So I think that we always have to remind ourselves, okay, we've got our manual. We've got this on our bookshelf. We're going to do our best, but we're home cooks. We're home yeah. bakers. Doesn't need to be perfect. Never needs to be perfect. It's amazing how when you become a home cook, even as a beginner, and people are used to you not being a home cook, and they walk into your house, whether I was a single girl for a very long time, and I would like call up my neighbor and I would say, come on over, I'm roasting a chicken. And it would just be her and me. And I'll never forget the first time we were probably in our late 20s. She walked into my kitchen and she saw me taking the roast chicken out of the oven. And she's like, oh, my gosh, Mary, you live like an adult. And I said, we are adults. <laughs> but was my chicken perfect? Probably not. Who knows? You know? But I just remember we sat down at my kitchen table and we ate and we had a good time. And I really think that when you start to cook, and you just walk through the steps little by little, not stressing yourself, not stressing your friends, not stressing your family, you know, not running out of the kitchen crying, oh, it's a disaster. Just saying, hey, I got something homemade. It's all about attitude sometimes, you know, and, and your friends are like, wow, this is this is good. This is home cooked. Oh, yeah. Wow. And you just make a soup sometimes with your bone broth. You just take white rice and instead of water, you use bone broth. And if you've gotten to the point in life where you say, okay, I think I'm going to buy a little butter. You know, and you throw the butter in and a little sea salt. People are saying, wow, this rice is delicious. Yeah, so 
it's it, it's just a wonderful and and like you said the whole cycle you start cooking seasonally you start properly preparing food and next thing you know everybody is coming over to your house i used to laugh that i would uh, my my girlfriends would say your house is always filled with people eating and then i would say oh yeah I, and often it was like a lot of young men which as a young woman you're happy because you want to meet a fella you know <laughs> and i would say oh yeah i run a home for wayward young men <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know it's it's it it's a manual that i hope young or old will be able to embrace and will will feel that they're really becoming modern pioneers in the kitchen. And my ultimate goal, which is really the theme through the whole book, is ultimately let all of us try to create low waste, or, uh, at the very least, low waste kitchens. And then ultimately, if you ever get to a no waste kitchen, I mean, that I, I know that's almost impossible, but it's amazing what you can do. And it's amazing how you can repurpose food like you've never repurposed before when you create a traditional foods kitchen. And that is the most rewarding thing to me when people say, people will come to me and they'll say, and I, I can't believe this, it's so humbling. They'll say, you changed my life. And that is really what my my goal for my book is that that the modern pioneer cookbook will, will will really help change people's lives to change their kitchen life to create that traditional foods kitchen to be a modern pioneer in the kitchen and ultimately when you learn then pass it on teach others you know i always love the way sally fallon says teach teach and teach teach others let's all learn how to preserve and prepare foods properly by limiting waste, by increasing nutrition, by increasing nutritional absorption, and teach others. Teach other people how to do this and let them go on and teach other people because we're losing these skills and we don't want to lose them. And there's we have a little window there was a resurgence during 2020 of people wanting to learn how to be home cooks, how to become more self-sufficient, how to become more self-sustaining. And now let's grab that. Let's not lose that. Let's teach, teach, and teach. Let's keep these skills growing. Let's keep these skills alive. Let's get everybody becoming modern pioneers in the kitchen and let's lower our grocery budgets. Let's lower our waste. How good this is going to be for the whole country and for the world if we can learn to waste less food so that one day when you're reading an article online, no matter where it's from, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, whoever you know publishes these things, that they say, wow, food waste is down 30%. You know, I, how fabulous would that be? I mean, 10% is not even, that's not great, but how wonderful it'll be if over the coming years, we read that food waste is down. That to me, that's the best thing ever. I love all of the messages that you just shared there. And what I really love is that you actually live that message. And I, uh, I think that's so great, but I don't want to take up your whole day. So- <laughs> 
Um, before we end, why don't you just remind everybody uh, where they can find you online, your YouTube channel, and when your book comes out, we'll definitely make sure we have a link to purchase it in the episode description so that everybody who has felt impassioned by you today can make sure they get a copy for themselves. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, you can find me across social media at Mary's Nest. The name of my YouTube channel is Mary's Nest. The name of my website is Mary's Nest, as well as on Facebook and and Instagram. Uh, But I think probably my biggest presence, you know, with my videos is is on YouTube. And uh, my book is available for pre-order. If you go to my website, uh, in the toolbar, there's an area that says my cookbook and people can learn more about it there, but it'll actually be available August 15th of this year, 2023. Oh. And I just want to thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's just a delight talking to you. And uh, I, I really want to thank you for having Plan to Eat. It's a wonderful, wonderful service. And it's it's been a delight to be able to use it. Well, I thank you for being here. This has been so wonderful to talk with you. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share it with someone and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts.